Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and good morning, and wherever you're at around the world as far as uh, time zones. My name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is June 11, 2010. The title of this program is How Do We Prepare for the Tough Times Ahead? If you haven't had your head in the sand, which um, unfortunately I think a lot of people have their head in the sand right now, you need to pull it out because uh, things are really happening. There's so many events that are going on in the world right now that I can't even possibly talk about it in the short time that I have here. But what I recommend you do is go to not CNN and all these other uh, media um, outlets that are controlled by the elite, the rich of the world, but you need to go to www.infowars, I-N-F-O-W-A-R-S, that's www.infowars.com, and look at um, Alex Jones' uh, news. Now, I, I agree on most of the things that he talks about, except when they start talking about Israel and, and how guilty they are for defending themselves and protecting themselves, which is another Bible study in itself, although I've done recently a Bible study on the significance of Israel and Jerusalem, uh, I suggest that you uh, listen to that. But anyway, the focus of this particular Bible study is how do we prepare for the tough times ahead? Now, your own personal tribulation could could be you dying the next day. So this will apply also to anyone that's dying or getting ready to die, and this also will apply to people who will be living through these terrible times that... God, through his greatest prophet, Yeshua, and all the other prophets, prophesied about. And you really need to pay attention to what I'm going to tell you now. Uh, I'm telling this to you because I love you. I'm a human being myself, but I'm a human being that, that has the Spirit of God, and God has given me the inspiration and the wisdom to give you the information I'm going to give you today. And I hope you take heed. And, and realize that this is it. This is the generation that uh, Jesus or Yeshua talked about. There's no doubt. And take this serious. Realize you are in the generation that he talked about. A generation where if he did not come, no flesh would be saved alive. I'm going to read you or highlight some key points to this article that Alex Jones had uh, referred me and his listeners to. This is from the Wall Street Journal. So this is a legitimate source, the Wall Street Journal. The title of this article 
is tax hikes and a 2011 economic collapse. Now, my friend uh, Gerald Salente, and you can type him up on Google, Gerald Salente, uh, he predicts that there's going to be a collapse in 2010. So what is 2010, 2011? It's coming, folks. That's what we need to understand. And this article states uh, June 6, 2010. You can Google this uh, for proof and verification, and what I'm telling you is true. Uh, the headline of the article is Tax Hikes and a 2011 Economic Collapse. So the headline of the article is Tax Hikes, H-I-K-E-S, and a 2011 Economic Collapse. This is from the Wall Street Journal, dated June 6, 2010. It says, today's corporate profits, today's corporate profits reflect an income shift in 2010. These profits will tumble next year, preceded most likely by the stock market. So Gerald Salente, again, is predicting 2010. This gentleman is predicting 2011, and this article is by Arthur Lafer. says, people can change the volume, the location, and the composition of their income, and they can do so in response to changes in government policies. It shouldn't surprise anyone that the nine states without an income tax are growing far faster and attracting more people than in the nine states with the highest income tax rates. People with business, people and businesses, people and businesses change the location of income based on incentives. Likewise, who is gobsmacked when they are told that the two wealthiest Americans, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, hold the bulk of their wealth in the non-tax form of unrealized capital gains? The composition of wealth also responds to incentives, and it's also simple enough for most people to understand that if the government taxes people who work and pays people not to work, fewer people will work. Incentives matter. People can also change the timing of when they earn and receive their income in response to government policies. According to a 2004 U.S. Treasury report, high-income taxpayers accelerated the receipt of wages and year-end bonuses from 1993 to 1992, over $15 in order to avoid the effects of the anticipated increase in the top rate from 31% to 39.6%. At the end of 1993, taxpayers shifted wages and bonuses yet again to avoid the increase in Medicare taxes, which is an entitlement program, that went into effect beginning 1994. By the way, you can Google this too. Um, our um, Fed Chairman Bernard um, Bernanke, or Mr. Bernanke, he stated the fact that if we don't adjust the entitlement programs, which is food stamps, uh, any government program that serves the people, uh, like Medicaid and, and so forth. If we, or Social Security, if we don't get a grip or change um, the entitlement programs, uh, he said we're, we're going we're to be in real dire trouble. Now, this is from the, the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve private bank. It's not a government bank. And you can Google this, uh, Google that rather, to verify that. Now, continuing on with this article, says, just remember, what happened to auto sales when the cash for clunkers program ended? Or how about new housing sales when the $8,000 tax credit ended? It isn't rocket surgery, as the Ivy League professor said. On or about January 1, 2011, now, listen to this. On or about January 1, 2011, federal, state, and local tax rates are scheduled to rise quite sharply. Let me underscore this. On or about January 1, 2011, federal... State and local tax rates are scheduled to rise quite sharply. President George W. Bush tax cuts expire on that date, meaning that the highest federal personal income tax rate will go to 39.6% from 35%. 
the highest federal dividend tax rate pops up to 39.6 from 15% the capital gains tax rate to 20% from 15% and the estate tax rate to 55% from zero. Lots and lots of other changes will also occur as a result of the sunset provision in the Bush tax cuts. Tax rates have been and will be raised on income earned from offshore investments. Payroll taxes are already scheduled to rise in 2013, and the alternative minimum tax, AMT, will be digging deeper and deeper into middle-income taxpayers like you and me. And there's always a celebrated tax increase on Cadillac health care plans. State and local tax rates are also going up in 2011, as they did in 2010. Tax rates increases next year are everywhere. So this is unfortunate. Now, if people know tax rates will be higher next year than they are this year, what will those people do this year? They will shift production and income out of next year into this year to the extent possible. As a result, income this year has already been inflated above where it otherwise should be. And next year, 2011, income will be lower than it otherwise should be. Also, the prospect of rising prices, higher interest rates, and more regulations next year will further entice demand and supply to be shifted from 2011 into 2010. In my view, this shift of income and demand is a major reason that the economy in 2010 has appeared as strong as it has. When we pass the tax boundary of January 1, 2011, my, guess, my best guess is that the train goes off the tracks and we get our worst nightmare of severe double-dip recession, meaning that we'll go back into a recession. In 1981, Ronald Reagan, with bipartisan support, that means from both parties, Democrats and Republicans, began the first phase in a series of tax cuts passed under the Economic Recovery Tax Act, ERTA, whereby the bulk of the tax rates didn't take effect until January 1, 1983. Reagan's delayed tax cuts were the mirror image of President Barack Obama's delayed tax rate increases. For 1981 and 1982, people deferred so much economic activity that real gross domestic product was basically fat, or flat, rather. <laughs> no growth, and the unemployment rate rose to well over 10%. But at the tax boundary of January 1st, 1983, the economy took off like a rocket, with average real growth reaching 7.5% in 1983 and 5.5% in 1984. It has always amazed me how tax cuts don't work until they take effect. Well, that's common sense. Mr. Obama's experience with deferred tax rates increases will be the reverse. The economy will collapse. And this is the Wall Street Journal here, ladies and gentlemen. This expert is stating that the economy will collapse in 2011. Consider corporate profits as a share of GDP. Today, corporate profits as a share of GDP are way too high given the state of the U.S. economy. These high profits reflect the shift in income from 2010 from 2011. These profits will tumble in 2011, preceded most likely by the stock market. In 2010, without any prepayment penalties, people can cash in their individual retirement accounts, uh, their deferred income accounts, and 401k deferred income accounts. After paying their taxes, these deferred income accounts can be rolled into Roth IRAs that provide after-tax income to their owners into the future. Given what's going to happen to tax rate, this conversion seems like a no-brainer. The result will be a crash in tax receipts once the surge is passed. If you thought deficits and unemployment have been bad lately, you ain't seen nothing yet. So let me repeat that. <laughs> if you thought deficits and unemployment have been bad lately, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, Mr. Laffer, or Lafer is the chairman of Lafer Associates and co-author of Return to Prosperity, How America Can Regain Its Economic Superpower Status from Threshold 2010. 
So this is an article, and I, I felt that it was so important that I needed to read every word. Folks, when the Wall Street Journal starts quoting stuff, we need to listen. These are tough times that we're living in. The Doomsday Clock, and I'm, I'm quoting this from the Wikipedia article, Doomsday Clock. And uh, I, I suggest you read this because many people don't don't understand what the Doomsday Clock is and where it originated and so forth. But the Doomsday Clock is a symbolic clock face maintained since 1947. That was a couple of years approximately after uh, the United States destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki with uh, hydrogen bombs, or not hydrogen, but uh, atomic bombs. So anyway, the Doomsday Clock is a symbolic clock face maintained since 1947 by the Board of Directors of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists at the University of Chicago. The closer the clock is to midnight, the closer the world is estimated to be to a global disaster. So let me repeat that. The closer the clock is to midnight, the closer the world is estimated to be to global disaster. As of January 14, 2010, the doomsday clock now stands at six minutes to midnight. That was five a couple of years ago, but I guess since Obama was giving the false image of uh, he's going to be able to solve every problem, um, they moved it up six. But, you know, that's not realistic based on the way things are going right now in the world. But anyway... As of January 14, 2010, the doomsday clock now stands at six minutes to midnight. Since its creation, the time on the clock has changed 19 times. So let me quote from this article that I um, was able to download in PDF. Uh, this is an art the article that they had written when they had changed it to five minutes to, to midnight, which I think it should be changed all the way to one minute to midnight, the way things are going. But anyway... This is an article, of, uh, it's called, It is Five Minutes. That's when it was two, two years ago. Now it's at six minutes. But anyway, I, I believe that this article is very um, vital for us to, to pay attention to uh, certain highlights of it anyway. It says, January 2007, from the Board of Directors, and it's from the, the Board of Directors of the Bulletin of Atomic Sciences, and they created the Doomsday Clock, uh, as I stated, uh, based on the Wikipedia article of the Doomsday Clock back in 1947. Anyway. States here on page 66 of this article. It says, "We stand at the brink of a nuclear age. We stand at the brink of a nuclear age. Not since the first atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki has the world faced such perilous choices. North Korea's recent test of a nuclear weapon. This happened back in a couple of years ago, and then Iran's nuclear ambitions, which hasn't stopped to this day. A renewed U.S. emphasis on the military." utility of nuclear weapons, the failure to adequately secure nuclear materials, and the continued presence of some 26,000 is probably a little less than that because uh, Russia and the United States has recently agreed to reduce their nuclear armaments uh, further. Anyway, it says in the continued presence of some 26,000 or, or probably fewer now, nuclear weapons in the United States and Russia are sim sim symptomatic of a larger failure to solve the problems posed by the most destructive technology on Earth. So I, I want to underscore this. Nuclear bombs are considered the most destructive technology on Earth. As in past deliberations, we have examined other human-made threats to civilization. We have concluded that the dangers posed by climate change are near, nearly as dire as those posed by nuclear weapons. The effects may be less dramatic in the short term than the destruction that could be walked by nuclear explosions. 
but over the next three to four decades, climate change could cause drastic harm to the habitats upon which human societies depend for survival, or the habitats, rather. So, and then on page 67, states here, United States and Russia, which still possess 26,000 of the 27,000 nuclear warheads, it's probably about between 20 and 25,000 now currently, by far the greatest potential for calamity lies in the readiness of forces in the United States and Russia to fight an all-out nuclear war. Whether by accident or by unauthorized launch, these two countries are able to initiate major strikes in a matter of minutes. Each warhead has the potential destruction each warhead has the potential destructive force of eight to forty times that of the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Japan on August sixth, nineteen forty five. And that relatively small nuclear explosion, only a hundred that well, I shouldn't say only, but they don't say only, says a hundred thousand people were killed. So 100,000 people were killed and the city destroyed. 50 of today's nuclear weapons could kill 200 million people. So let's understand. It'll only take 50 to wipe out 200 million people or most of the United States, 50 nuclear warheads. And I kind of figured out, based on this metric, 50 of today's nuclear weapons could kill 200 million people, that approximately it'll take 1,700 nuclear weapons to destroy the whole entire population of the Earth which is close to 7 billion people, and that's what it would be. So it would only take 1,700 nuclear warheads, and, of course, the United States and Russia has way more than just 1,700. So we're definitely living in perilous times. While the possibility of launching these powerful weapons may seem remote, experts in Russia, and, and let me underscore that, seem remote, <laughs> experts in Russia and the United States are concerned about command and control systems that depend on complex electronic communications and information. Past incidents suggest that technical failures, misperception, and miscommunication happen in even the best-maintained systems. Let me underscore that. Past incidents suggest that technical failures, misperception, and miscommunication happen in even the best-maintained systems. Such errors could lead to an accidental launch already programmed in the event of, of attack. Let me underscore that again. Such errors could lead to an accidental launch already programmed in the event of attack. Experts have documented four nuclear false alarms in 1979, in 1980, 1983, and 1995, where either the United States or Soviet Russian forces were placed on the highest alert and missile launch crews were given preliminary launch warnings. So basically you can see it's been a miracle that we haven't destroyed ourselves yet. And again, the Bible prophesied of these times, these perilous times that we're living in, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we, we need to take it seriously. I'm going to quote a couple of scriptures here, as I always do with my Bible studies. After all, this is a Bible study. Study means you're really looking at something and analyzing it and wanting to understand and learn it. Uh, I'm going to read this in the uh, contemporary uh, English version for clarity's sake here. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. You can be certain that in the last days, these are the days that we're living in now, there will be some very hard times, and that's what perilous means. Verse 2, people will love only themselves and money, and that's definitely a description of the world today. They will be proud, stuck up, rude, and disobedient to their parents. They will also be ungrateful, godless, heartless, and hateful. Their words will be cruel, so people won't know how to speak to each other, basically. Their words will be cruel, and they will have no control, uh, self-control or pity, no compassion. These people will hate everything that is good, the majority. Verse 4, they will be sneaky, 
reckless, and puffed up with pride. Instead of loving God, they will love pleasure. And we love our pleasure, especially in this United States. Please listen to my Bible study last week. The party is almost over to understand that. Verse 5, even though they will make a show of being religious, and many people do that, they make a show of being religious. Their religion won't be real. Don't have anything to do with these people. So you should stay away from folks that are fakes about their religion. Verse 6, some men fool whole families just to get power over those women who are slaves of sin and are controlled by all sorts of desires. These women always want to learn something new, but they never can discover the truth. Now, I don't know. To say that that's women, I don't know if that's women or not, but basically stating that people are seeking that fit this description. They're always seeking to learn something new. Everybody wants to learn something new, but they never can discover the truth. And there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to seek something new, ladies and gentlemen, but you need to understand the foundation of the Bible. You need to understand God's words before you get so excited about something new all the time. You know, So God wants you to to appreciate his words, whether they're new or old. And also to verify that we are living in dangerous times based on, uh, like I told you, it would only take 1,700 nuclear weapons, and we have approximately anywhere from twenty to 25,000 nuclear warheads, hydrogen bombs right now. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 22, states this. Yeah, and this is in the contemporary English version of the Bible. Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. This will be the worst time of suffering since the beginning of the world, and nothing this terrible will ever happen again. If God doesn't make the time shorter, which he will, no one will be left alive. No one. And then the uh, King James Version says, no flesh saved alive, meaning animals won't be alive either. But because of God's chosen ones, he will make the time shorter. That's the good news there. So we are living in this time of uh, what I call the nuclear bomb generation, which began... August 6, 1945, ladies and gentlemen. We need to pay attention here, and, and we need to, to, to adhere to what the warnings that God has given through his prophets. And, you know, I'm not a prophet. I'm just reading what the prophets have stated. Uh, and, and, and God tells us that we need to take heed to what the prophets have stated so that we can prepare ourselves for what's about to happen here in the future. And... You know, things are, are going to get tough, ladies and gentlemen. I can't sugarcoat it. And that's why I'm stressing prophecy now, and I don't know when I'm going to get off of it because things are just right now, as I read, I think, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, that this oil spill is going to cause tremendous economic problems. Even the president, uh, Barack Obama, has stated that this is going to cause some problems. We have got to get off our entertainment mode, ladies and gentlemen, and nothing wrong with being entertained, but we need to not focus on it so much right now. We shouldn't be focusing on it as much as we do anyway, but we, we need to really, really, really focus on the prophecies of God right now and study those prophecies and, and do what God wants us to do. What he wants us to do, primarily, ladies and gentlemen, is to repent of our wickedness. That's what we really, really need to do, and we need to Again, I've read this scripture over and over and over again about the fact that in Jeremiah 16, verses 19 to 21, let's, let's go there again, we have all inherited lies from our fathers, and we need to, 
to understand that and accept what God is telling us through the prophet Jeremiah and repent. So it says this here in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 19 to 21. O oh Lord, you are the one who gives me strength and protects me like a fortress when I'm in trouble. People will come to you from distant nations that our answers worship false and useless gods, worthless idols made by human hands. Then the Lord replied, that's why I would teach them about my power, and they will know that I am the true God. That's in the contemporary uh, version. What is the, the um, Bible in basic English version, how it's worded here? It says, O oh Lord, my strength and my strong tower, my safe place in the day of trouble, the nations will come to you from the ends of the earth and say the heritage of our fathers is nothing but deceit. Uh, well, that's an excellent translation. The heritage of our fathers is nothing but deceit. Even false things in which there is no profit will a man make for himself gods which are no gods. For this reason, truly, I will make them see. This once I will give them knowledge of my hand and my power, and they will be certain that my name is the Lord. Or uh, in Hebrew, that's um, Y-H-W-H. And that's in Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 16 to 21. So, ladies and gentlemen, we really, really have got to get our act together here. And in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, you can't take a Scripture and say it's something when it's not. You have to take it for what it's saying there. Right, and, and quite a few people in this country and around the world twist prophetic scriptures and and uh, use the technique of eisegesis to deceive people and themselves. And let me give you an example. We, me and my wife went to this one church where this guy thinks that he's a prophet. He thinks uh, that he's that prophet that's talked about in, in John. And that prophet, if anyone knows the Bible like they should, a basic foundation of the Bible about who that prophet is, uh, any Jew will tell you that, that that prophet is the Messiah. That's who that is, okay? And the Messiah is Yeshua Messiah. Of course, most Jews would disagree with my statement there, but I don't care. Uh, the fact is that he is the Messiah, and it can be proven if, if anyone has uh, the desire to do it. Verse 21 of Second Peter chapter 1 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that is what we need to focus on. And then Second Peter chapter three, verse one. This says, uh, "Let me read this." How much time do I have left here? Uh, Thirty-one minutes. Second Peter chapter three, verse one. Reading this in the um, Bible and basic English version, for clarity's sake. Second Peter chapter three verse one. My loved ones, this is now my second letter to you. This is the epistle of Peter, the one of the top apostles, Peter, writing to his flock, his community. My loved ones, this is now my second letter to you, and in this, as in the first, I am attempting to keep your true minds awake. He wants to keep our true minds awake. Verse two so that you may keep in mind the words of the holy prophets in the past and the law of the Lord and Savior, which was given to you by his apostles. 
having first of all the knowledge that in the last days there will be men who rule by their evil desires will make sport of holy things, saying, Where is the hope of his coming? From the death of the fathers till now, everything has gone on as it was from the making of the world. And you're going to get many people saying exactly that. Verse 5, But in taking this view, they put out of their minds the memory that in the old days there was a heaven and an earth lifted up out of water and circled by water by the word of God, and the world which then was came to an end through the overflowing of the waters. But the present heaven and the present earth have been kept for destruction by fire which is waiting for them on the day of the judging and the destruction of evil men. Not all men, but evil men. Verse 8, But my loved ones, keep in mind this one thing that with the Lord, one day is the same as a thousand years, and a thousand years are no more than one day. Verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his word as he seems to some, but he is waiting for, in mercy for you. He's waiting in mercy for you not desiring the destruction of any. So he doesn't desire the destruction of anyone, but that all may be turned from their evil ways. So that is what God's intention is, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't want anyone to die. He wants everyone to have salvation, but it's something in each and every one of us when we have eyes to see and ears to hear. When we, ever, we hear the truth of God, we have to repent. We have to repent. So in Acts chapter 17, which is definitely prophetic here, uh, in verse 22, Paul visited Greece, Athens, which a lot of our education and, and even religion has a lot to do with. It has a lot of Greek influence. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, and Paul, actually let me read the context of this because this is important. Acts chapter 17. Okay, yeah. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the spirit was troubled, for he saw all the town full of images of, of the gods. <laughs> and that's what uh, Greek influence does. It gets you to, to, to have all kinds of things that you put more important in God and statues and idols and everything else. Verse 17, so he had discussions in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and every day in the marketplace with those who were there. And some of those who were supporters of the theories of the Epicureans and the Stoics had a meeting with him, and some said, what is this talker of foolish words saying? And others, he seems to be a preacher of strange gods because he was preaching of Jesus and his coming back from the dead. And verse 19, and they took him to Mars Hill saying, will you make clear to us what is this new teaching of yours? Verse 20, for you seem to us to say strange things, and we have a desire to get the sense of them. And note this, this um, particular verse here, verse 21. Now, all the Athenians, Athenians the, all the Athenians and the men from other lands who come there were giving all their time to talking or hearing of anything new. And that's all they were interested in, something new. They weren't interested in the old things. They just wanted something new all the time. Verse 22, Acts chapter 17, and Paul got to his feet on Mars Hill and said, O men of Athens, I see that you are overmuch given to the fear of the gods. Verse 23, For when I came, I was looking at the things to which you give worship, and I saw an altar with this writing on it, to the God of whom there is no knowledge. So they had an altar <laughs> with a writing on it, stating, to the God of whom there is no knowledge. 
Now, what you, without knowledge, give worship to, I make clear to you. So let's listen, let's listen to this. Verse 24 of Acts chapter 17. The God who made the earth and everything in it, he, being the Lord of heaven and earth, is not housed in buildings made with hands, and he is not dependent on the work of men's hands as if he had need of anything, for he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made of one blood, which was Adam, all the nations of men living on all the face of the earth, ordering their times and the limits of their lands. So we are all brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 27, so that they might make search for God in order, if possible, to get knowledge of him and make discovery of him, though he is not far from every one of us. So the, the great apostle Paul is telling us the following, that God is not far from every one of us. Verse 21, for in him we have life and motion and existence, as certain of your verse writers have said, for we are his offspring. So we are all his children. Verse 29, if then we are the offspring of God, is it not right for us to have the idea that God is like gold? says, is it not right? So let me read this again, verse 29 of Acts 17. If then we are the offspring of God or the children of God, is it not right for us to have the idea that God is like gold or silver or stone formed by the art or design of man? In other words, we shouldn't be making any statues of God or any man or woman because that's the image of God. We are the image of God, verse 30. Those times when men had no knowledge were overlooked by God. Okay, this is back in the first century when Paul wrote this. It says, those times, up until the time he's writing this, when men had no knowledge were overlooked by God. So he blinked at that. He overlooked that. But now he gives orders to all men in every place to undergo a change of heart. So right now, since the first century, since Christ came and was resurrected and so forth, from that time on, he gives orders to all men and women in every place to undergo a change of mind or heart. Verse 31, because a day has been fixed in which all the world will be judged in righteousness, and righteousness is keeping the commandments. Psalm 119, verse 172, by the man who has been marked out by him for this work, of which he has given a sign to all men by giving him back from the dead. That's the sign, his resurrection. Verse 32, now when hearing about the coming back from the dead, some of them made sport of it, but others said, let us go more fully into this another time. So anyway, I just wanted to, to, to read that to you. In the King James Version, it says, Now he, God requires all men to repent. And that's what we have to do. We have to change our mind. And how, how do we repent? Let's look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Verse 7, the John the Baptist, who was considered the greatest man who ever lived other than Christ. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. So he said to the people who went out for, him for immersion or baptism, You offspring of snakes, at whose word are you going in flight from the wrath to come? Verse 8, make clear by your acts that your hearts have been changed. God doesn't want lip service, ladies and gentlemen. He wants us to prove that we believe him by our works. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that God is able to make these stones and make children of Abraham. Verse 9, and even now the axe is put to the root of the trees. And he said even now because uh, even now at that particular time in the first century, the axe is put to the root of the trees. But of course in the future it's definitely going to be. And every tree which does not have good fruit, the tree representing a human being, does not have good fruit, that's representing works and how you treat human beings and God will be cut down and put into the fire. 
or destroy it. Verse 10. And the people put questions to him saying, what do we have to do? What have we to do? And verse 11. And he made answer and said to them, he who has two coats, let him give to him who has not even one. And he who has food, let him do the same. So what he's telling us first, how we show God that we care, is that we start caring about other people and sharing our resources. That's true or pure religion. Verse 12, Then tax farmers came to him for immersion or baptism and said to him, Master, what have we to do? And he said to them, Do not make an attempt to get more money than the right amount. And I just read to you that's what this country, unfortunately, is doing. So they're sending greatly the leaders, the elite, the people in Congress, making the decisions. And, you know, I respect the President of the United States, but to overtax us when we're, we're messed up economically right now is not right. Verse 13, and he said to them, do not make an attempt to get more money than the right amount. Verse 14, and men of the army put questions to him, saying, and what have we to do? And he said, do, not, do no violent acts to any man, and do not take anything without right, and let your payment be enough for you. So we should all be satisfied with what we are paid, although we should always try to improve, but we should, we should be satisfied if we have food and clothes and shelter. But when that starts to be affected, then yeah, you know, you start to you say, hey, I don't have enough money to pay the utility bill, I have enough money for food. That's when there is a concern, and that's when we need to try to increase our income. All right, so those are the things that we need to do to repent, because that's what we need to do first if we expect to get protected at all from God the Father, as I'm going to show you here. So anyway, Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse 3, back in the King James Version here. Oh, boy. I think I'm messing up here. Let's see. Let's see. I hate when I quote the wrong scripture. Let me go back. I'll find it here. Had my handy Bible concordance... Uh, program here. comes in handy. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Proverbs 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Let me quote this in the uh, basic Bible English version. It says here, the sharp man, that's an interesting translation, the sharp man sees the evil and takes cover. The simple go straight on and get into trouble. The contemporary English version says, when you see trouble coming, don't be stupid and walk right into it. Be smart and hide. Oh, my goodness, that is a definitely uh, a good translation there. Proverbs 22, verse 3. When you see trouble coming, don't be stupid and walk right into it. Be smart and hide. So this is, this is in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. God wants us to, to pay attention to what's going on here and, and not be stupid. Okay, we can't be stupid. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. Luke 17 and verse 26. I'll read this in the contemporary uh, version of the Bible again, English version. Luke 17, verse 26. When the Son of Man comes, things will be just as they were 
when Noah lived. Verse 27, people were eating, drinking, and getting married right up to the day when Noah went into the big boat. Then the flood came and drowned everyone on earth. So he's telling us that that's the way his coming will be, um, similar to people are going to be, people won't listen to me and other people just telling the truth just like Noah did, and they're going to just do their own thing and, and just do their just conduct their lives and nothing like nothing's going on when it is, and then all of a sudden they're going to be surprised. Verse 28, when Lot lived, people were also eating and drinking. They were buying, selling, planting, and building. So he compared these days we're living in to the days of Noah and Lot. Verse 29, but on the very day Lot left Sodom, fiery flames poured down from the sky and killed everyone. The same will happen on the day when the Son of Man appears. So, verse 31, at that time no one on the rooftop should go down into the house to get anything. No one in the field should go back to the house or anything. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Don't go back. Go forward. Forget about your sinful lives. Uh, that's what that means as well. But also uh, physically, when it's time to protect, don't go back into the past. Focus on what you have to do presently and in the future. Verse 33. That's why he says, remember what happens to Lot's wife. Verse 33. People who try to save their lives will lose them, and those who lose their lives will save them. That's referring to people that will accept the mark of the beast because they want to eat and they don't have enough faith to to to, to allow them themselves to be killed because Christ did say that if you truly follow him, you have to take up your own cross. In other words, be willing to, to die if you have to, be, become a martyr. But if you just focus so much on, oh, i got to save my skin, and that's all you're concerned about, then he said you're going to lose your life. He says those who will lose their lives will save them. So if you are willing to do anything for God, even die for him, then he guarantees you that you will save your life. And he's not so much referring to your physical life as he's referring to your spiritual life. And that's what's more important. Verse 35, two women will be together grinding wheat, but only one will be taken, the other will be left. In other words, the one that's taken will be destroyed. And then in verse 17, then Jesus' disciples spoke up and says, well, where, where will this happen, Lord? And he said, well, there is a corpse there will always be buzzard. And that's referring to Revelation chapter 19, if you read toward the end of that. God commands the birds, or the angels. Uh, God commands the angels to tell the birds to eat all of the flesh, and that's what that's referring to there. So I know this has been eisegesis to state that this is referring to a rapture, but if you look at the context, that's definitely not what it's talking about. Okay, and what I mean by eisegesis again, putting your own thoughts into the scriptures instead of taking the scriptures for what they're really saying to support your false beliefs and what you think the the, the Bible is saying. All right, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7. I never have enough time here. I'm going to have to just summarize everything here. I think next week I'm going to go over a little more detail about what the beast is because it looks like I'm not going to have enough time today. To link all this together in reference to the days of Noah, Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. So he was... Warned by God of things not seen as yet. He was warned directly by God. We are warned through the prophecies of the Bible, as I proved to you today. So, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Not cowardly fear, but fear, the kind of fear you would have if you know a fire is in your room and uh, you, you, you get out. You know, you don't stay there, right? That's the kind of fear that Noah, that Noah had. It says, He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So this is the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. That's one of the ways that Noah exercised faith because he moved with fear 
being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So God prophesied to him what would occur, and he moved with fear, the right type of fear, and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house or his family, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is of by faith. So Noah was very righteous by doing that, and you will be too if you prepare your family for what's about to come. Isaiah chapter 26. Because remember, he compared these days to the days of Noah and Lot. Isaiah chapter uh, 26. Isaiah chapter 26. I'm going to read this in the contemporary English version if uh, this program ever gets to... Okay, here we go. Isaiah chapter 26. Verse 20. God is telling us this. Go inside and lock the doors, my people. Hide there for a little while until the Lord is no longer angry. Verse 21. The Lord will come out to punish everyone on earth for their sins. And when he does, those who did violent crimes will be known and punished. So this is in a contemporary English version, and this time is getting ready to approach us, ladies and gentlemen. So he's warning us, he's telling us to prepare and go inside and lock our doors and, and, and prepare for what's about to come. And the reason why these things are occurring, ladies and gentlemen, I've said this many times on my program. I'm going to state it over and over and over again. Uh, Isaiah 24, verse 1, in the contemporary English version of the Bible, the Lord is going to twist the earth out of shape and turn it into a desert. Everyone will be scattered. And this is Isaiah 24, verse 1. What a way to start a chapter, but that's the way it is here. Isaiah 24, verse 1, the Lord is going to twist the earth out of shape and turn it into a desert. Everyone will be scattered including ordinary people and priests, slaves and slave owners, buyers and sellers, lenders and borrowers, the rich and the poor. This has never happened before. And remember, this is was written by Isaiah after the flood, so it's obviously a future prophecy because Isaiah, of course, is a prophet. Isaiah 24, verse 3, The earth will be stripped bare and left that way. This is what the Lord has promised. Verse 4, The earth wilts away, its mighty leaders melt to nothing. The earth is polluted because its people destroy Disobey the laws of God, breaking their agreement that was to last forever. Okay? So this is a significant scripture because the Jews are incorrectly teaching, and they have taught incorrectly for thousands of years, that the Torah is just for them. The law of God is just for them. And yet, the focus of this chapter is the entire world. Isaiah 24, verse 5. The earth is polluted because its people disobey the laws of God. So he's holding not only the Jews responsible, for all of mankind responsible for disobeying the laws of God, which pollutes the earth. That is the real climate change that's going on right now. <laughs> because of our disobedience, where we're just, it's like if you go to scorecard.org, so type in scorecard.org, and if you type in your zip code, you'll see all the, the toxic chemicals that have polluted the atmosphere. That's what God is talking about here. The earth is polluted because its people disobey the laws of God breaking their agreement that was to last forever. And one of the laws of God is, of course, to take care of the earth, as he told Adam, to till the garden. We have, we have destroyed our garden, the gardens of the earth, ladies and gentlemen. We really have. And that's what he's talking about. The earth is polluted, in verse 5, because as people disobey the laws of God, breaking their agreement that was to last forever. The earth is under a curse because of this, in verse 6. As people are dying out because of their sins, God never intended for man to die. And that's what this whole thing's about. That's why Yeshua had to come and sacrifice his life. 
so that we would have an opportunity for eternal life. He took all the penalty of death upon him. He destroyed death. And the only the thing that we have to do to make sure we don't die is to obey God. And if we obey him to the best of our ability, he promises to grant us the gift of immortality. Isaiah 24, verse 6, The earth is under a curse. Its people are dying out because of their sins. So, that is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. That is the problem in a nutshell. Uh, Isaiah chapter 20, uh, Isaiah chapter 13. <clears throat> have 10 minutes left. Isaiah chapter 13. I'm going to go over these scriptures as much as I can because uh, these are significant scriptures and I, and I must address them. Isaiah 13, verse 6, in the contemporary English version. Cry and weep. The day is coming when the mighty Lord will bring destruction. So the, the true God is going to bring destruction. And I, I just mentioned to you it's because of our sins. Verse 7. All people will be terrified. That means all people. Hands will grow limp. Courage will melt away. Verse 8 of Isaiah 13. Everyone will tremble with pain like a woman giving birth. They will stare at each other with horror on their faces. Verse 9. I, the Lord, will show no mercy or pity when that time comes. In my anger, I will destroy the earth and every sinner who lives on it. So he's not going to destroy everybody, but he's going to destroy every sinner who lives in it. In other words, people who are just horrifyingly wicked, he's going to destroy. In verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 13. Verse 10, not, the, not those who are sinning like me and, and trying the best they can and repent. Isaiah 13, verse 10, Light will disappear from the stars in the sky. The dawning sun will turn dark and the moon will lose its glow. And verse 7 is the key to this whole thing here. I will punish this evil world. Verse 11, Isaiah 13, I will punish this evil world and its people because of their sins. I will crush the horrible pride of those who are cruel. Verse 12 of Isaiah 13, survivors will be harder to find than the purest gold, the gold of Ophir, as it says in the King James Version, because this is clearer version. Uh, I'm sure that many people will understand this verse clearer. Isaiah 13, verse 12, survivors will be harder to find than the purest gold. Verse 13, but there will be survivors. I, the Lord, all-powerful and terribly angry. He's terribly angry, ladies and gentlemen. I sense it. I know it. I know it. I will make the sky tremble and the earth shake loose. Verse 14. Everyone will run to their homelands just as hunted deer run and sheep scatter when they have no shepherd. Those who are captured will be killed by the sword. They will see their children beaten against the rocks, their homes robbed, and their wives abused. So that is what's going to happen later in verse 18. It says their arrows will slaughter the young men. No pity will be shown to babies and children. That's where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen, if we don't repent, as Jeremiah 18, verse 7 tells a nation. If a nation repents of their wickedness, he will repent of the evil that he has pronounced on any nation that disobeys him. And that's in Jeremiah 18, verse 7. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is some serious, some serious times that we're living in here, and we need to pay attention. Uh, here's another scripture that I know is not quoted that much. Isaiah chapter 34, because, you know, people don't want to think of God as the God of judgment, but he is the God of judgment. <laughs> and we need to pay attention to that. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 1, in the contemporary English version Bible, for clarity's sake, because I want to be clear. Isaiah 34, verse 1, everyone of every nation, the entire earth and all of his creatures, come here and listen. Okay, so <laughs> let's listen. Isaiah 34, verse 1. 
Isaiah 34, verse 1, the contemporary English version, Bible, or King James version, whatever, is pretty clear what he's saying here. Everyone of every nation, the entire earth, and all of its creatures come here and listen. Verse 2, the Lord is terribly, not just angry, but terribly angry with the nations, not just the Jews, everybody. He has condemned them to be slaughtered with those who are wicked, of course. Verse 3, their dead bodies will be left to rot and stink. Their blood will, be, will flow down the mountains. Verse 4, each star will disappear. The sky will roll up like a scroll. Everything in the sky will dry up and will wilt like leaves on a vine or a fruit on a tree. Verse 5, after the sword of the Lord has done what it wants to the skies above, it will come down on Edom, the nation that the Lord has doomed for destruction. That's symbolic of Babylon. Verse 6, the sword of the Lord is covered with blood from lambs and goats, together with fat from kidneys of rams. This is because the Lord will slaughter many people and make a sacrifice of them in the city of Basra and everyone else in Edom. And also geographically is referring to um, the Middle East as well. So anyway, God is telling you here that there's going to be some destruction. And and we need to be aware of this destruction. That's why I'm talking about it right now in the remaining uh, few minutes I have here, uh, five minutes now. Jeremiah chapter 25. We're going to continue with this uh, Bible study as I say next week. There's so many things that that I have to cover as far as the prophecies, and I just can't get it all done in 60 minutes. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning in verse 30 to 33. Jeremiah 25, verse 30, in the contemporary English version of the Bible, the Lord told me to say, this is Jeremiah, writing this, from my sacred temple, which is in Jerusalem, I will roar like thunder while I trample my people and everyone else as though they were grapes. Verse 31, my voice will be heard everywhere on the earth. So when he comes, everybody will know it, accusing nations of their crimes and sentencing the guilty to death. Verse 32, the Lord all-powerful says, you can see disaster spreading from far across the earth, from one nation to another nation, from nation to nation like a horrible storm. So the Lord all-powerful says, you can see disaster spreading from far across the earth, from nation to nation like a horrible storm. When it strikes, in verse 33 of uh, Jeremiah 25, I will kill so many people. He will kill so many people that their bodies will cover the ground like manure. Okay, that's what it says here in the contemporary English version. When it strikes, I will kill so many people that their bodies will cover the ground like manure. No one will be left to bury them or to mourn. So... Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I know this isn't pleasant words, but this is in your Bible. And we have to be prepared for what's about to occur. So let me, uh, in the remaining few minutes I have here left, let me just give you some things that you need to look at, and I'm going to pick up next week with this. But what does the Bible say is going to happen in the next few years, and what do we need to do to prepare for these, for these tough times? All right, now, you have to understand that major events have occurred since September 29, 2008, or 2000, yeah, September 29, 2008, which was around the Feast of Trumpets, which is pretty interesting. But anyway, the stock market closed 777. Now, that, that, that's very unusual for the stock market to close 77.68, but it did. 
it was the biggest single-day point loss ever around the time of the festival. Trump is, was represents, or Yom Teror, which represents uh, a time of war and, and judgment. What is significant about this is the number 777, as that stated. In the book of Revelation, the judgments of God consist of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials, or plagues. Also, the biggest point drop in the history of the Wall Street uh, 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 in the history of Wall Street happened right before the Feast of Trumpets, as I stated, which is one of God's holy days described in Leviticus chapter 23. The Feast of Trumpets, and I'm going to repeat this again, pictures a time of judgment leading to the return of Yeshua Messiah, or Jesus Christ. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, and I certainly hope you do, God has warned in the world that since September 29, 2008, his judgments of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues have been initiated. These are all outlined in Revelation chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter um, 18 and 19, okay, and chapter 15 and 16. Currently, the seven seals of Revelation chapter 6 have been initiated or just started since September 29, 2008. And I was going to go over Ezekiel 14, verse 12 to 21. I don't think I'm going to have time to do that today, but I will next week. And uh, what you need to do is to go to Infowars.com and review that information. And also go to www.beprepared.com, www.beprepared, B-E-P-R-E-P-A-R-E-D.com, and start getting emergency food and supplies. You need to start it now, ladies and gentlemen. Don't wait to 2011 or the latter part of 2010. Start doing it now. And I will pick up on this Bible study next week. May God bless and keep you, and may you have a blessed week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.